0: before we start, can we start with a word of prayer? Father, give thanks for who you are, Lord. We exhort your holy name. Father, even as we submit to the authority of the word of God, Father, we pray that the word that's been shed today will not just inform us, it will not just encourage us, but Lord, it will transform us to the image of your Son. We bless you, we honour you, and all God's people say, Amen. Today, I'm going to share with you a message which is taken directly from the Gospel of Mark. I think growing up, I always believed that God responds only to strong and bold faith. We always talk about coming boldly to that throne, coming boldly believing that you will receive. But today, I'm going to share with you a very familiar account from the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, and I hope to walk with you through this story and to discover with you that the Christ that we serve and worship is not just all-powerful, He's not just almighty. Yes, He is, but He's also a personal King. Yes, He's drawn to those who come boldly to His throne, yet He's also close to the weak and the vulnerable. And we also discover that even though Jesus was so focused on On his task on earth, his laser focus, whatever he received from the Father, he always determined in his heart to do it. Yet interruptions ordained by the Father do not face Jesus and they should never face us. So today we will concentrate on Mark chapter 5, verses 22 to 43. We'll read about two vastly different yet desperate people and how they each approached Jesus. There'll be two different miracles and we'll see how Christ responded to each individual. If you read Mark as a whole, you will realize that in Mark's gospel, he has a lot of miracles of Jesus scattered here and there throughout the entire gospel. In Mark's case, each of those miracles is tied thematically to what he's saying at that time, to his teachings and to the confrontations at that particular moment. And Mark uses a number of different literary um, techniques to present his account of the life of Jesus. And one of these techniques has become known as the Marken sandwich, all right? This is quite interesting. This is a technique which Mark interrupts a story with what appears to be an unrelated story. So here in Mark chapter 5, verse 22 onwards, it's a good example of a Marken sandwich. And Mark has quite a few of them where he begins a story and then the story is interrupted by something, and then you get the rest of the story. So you have a slice, and then you have something in the middle, and then you have the other slice. As in the case of a sandwich, you sometimes describe the sandwich by what's in the middle. So a sandwich is not determined by the bread, it's not determined by um, the, the lettuce or the tomato, it's determined by what's in the middle. So if a ham sandwich is what's in, determined in the middle, which is the ham. So in likewise, in some ways, this account of the entire double healing is really defined by what's in the middle, namely the healing of the woman with this hemorrhage for 12 years and right in the middle of the middle is Jesus' question to the crowd. Who touched me? And then suddenly that question begins to shed light on the entire narrative. But we will start from the beginning from verse 22. And i read to you. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on, him, on her so that she may be made well and live. So right away, when we read the beginning of the story, we are introduced to Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue. The synagogue ruler was responsible for the building, for maintaining the scrolls in good repair, for making sure that the sabbath, that there were readers to read from the readings that were prescribed for the day. So such people were known for their principles, for their holiness, for their piety. Often they were quite influential in the community. They were widely respected. Yet these men approached Jesus without fanfare, without palm, because he is desperate. He is desperate because his 12-year-old girl was dying, and he displayed incredible humility and meekness. The language that he used, take note of it, is not just, she might die, but she is about to die. And I want to just emphasize to you the situation we can read right here. The girl is not just at ICU, but she has, she's at the end of hospice care. The reality is unless Jesus comes, she is going to die. And Jesus responded, yes, I will go. So you can imagine the relief, the, and the excitement of Jairus. Like, thank God, all right. So Jesus and Jairus and the disciples are rushing to his home. They are followed by a crowd because the crowd wants to see another miracle. They are very curious. They, are, they like displays um, um, of power. So therefore, the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. And right here at this moment, another character is introduced. And we get to see the Markan sandwich clearly displayed here. A random character suddenly pops up. The woman with the issue of blood from verse 25. And I'll read to you. And there was a woman who had, had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Let me take some time to talk about this woman with 12 years of bleeding issues. And that's a very polite way for all of us of saying an uncontrollable menstrual flow. And we can read that she discreetly crept up to Jesus and touched him. And this is very different from how Jairus did it. Because Jairus was openly begging for help, but here she was hiding. So why would she do that? Her specific ailment meant that not only was she sick, but she was unable to have children And even more, she was ceremonially unclean, which meant that no one could and would touch her. She wasn't allowed in public worship. She could not be seen in crowds. And she has been this way for 12 years. Can you imagine? For 12 years, no one has touched her. No one has hugged her. No one has laid hands on her to pray for her. And Scripture says that she suffered greatly, a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. But instead of getting better, the scripture says that she got from bad to worse. And her whole story, if you think about it, is set in contrast to the story of Jairus. And I want to er reiterate the differences between Jairus and this woman again. Jairus got a daughter who is 12 years old and sick, and this woman has been sick for 12 years. Can you just picture this? On the same day, 12 years ago, this girl was born. That's when the other woman's entire world unraveled. That's when her disease started. Let's continue from here. We can see that Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. She's not even allowed in the synagogue. He was respected. She was rejected. His is a household name. Everyone knows Jairus but hers is a name, even now that nobody knows. And though this woman who has been suffering for 12 years touched Jesus, in the midst of the crowd, and all of a sudden, Jesus experienced something. We all know this story, but please bear with me as i slowly going to explain a bit more. And in verse 30, it says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. This is the first time the word dynamis is used in the book of Mark. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. But I want you to notice the passive nature of how this is stated. It doesn't say Jesus sent out his power, he said, But power went out. It is presented as if that Jesus was not even in control of it, which leads me to a theological question Is Jesus not in control of his miracle? Is God not sovereign over the outpouring of his power? Of course he is. It's presented this way because Mark is trying to show us very clearly. A little something about the faithfulness of Jesus, that Jesus responds to faith so reliably that it might as well have been a reflex. Due to her touch, his power automatically leak out. How amazing is that? So when this happened, he turns around and he says, I need to find out who got that healing. So he stops Smith's way and he looks for that lady. We all know the story. By then, the disciples are confused and almost raging. I want you to try to imagine with me, okay? If you understand the context of this story, it's the only way to explain how perplexed and how deeply sarcastic the disciples were being in verse 31. Because here's what's going on. They were excited. They were all very excited because Jesus has agreed to go save the life of a little girl of a prominent family. This looks good for their ministry portfolio. Why? Because a respected man in the community is looking for Jesus for help and the need is legit because the Jewish leaders had always been antagonistic towards Jesus. We all know this. But now this man a well-respected man in the religious community went down and begged for help. This makes for great PR, right? So the disciples already decided, oh, come on, let's go and and do some ministry. A 12-year-old girl was dying. This is the perfect time to rush and do some ministry. But suddenly, Jesus stops. He looks over in the crowd and he says, someone touched me. I want to find this person and I want to have an extended conversation with this person. And the disciples could not believe it. Do you now see the sarcasm in their question? They're saying, somebody touched you. Are you, are you kidding me? We are in the midst of this multitude. People are throwing uh, against you. People are rushing to touch you. And now you're asking this question. They're utterly perplexed. And I want you to right now think of Jairus. He can't believe it. Can you imagine the nausea and the pain from this father? Can you put yourself in his shoes? He's a desperate father. His little girl's life is ticking away. It's not just ICU, but she's at the end of hospice care. And anybody who sees this woman with this chronic problem can compare a 12-year-old dying girl with this woman you will understand that there's no comparison that's even this close, all right? Um, If you see this woman with this problem that's going on for years and years, and in comparison with this girl who has a serious problem, it's a done deal. The comparison is not even close. Now, chronic and serious are two very different things. A chronic problem means this has been going on for years, it's been going on for a while, it's a very sad thing, but yes, it certainly could wait for two to three more hours. But this little girl She has a serious problem, almost fatal. She's about to die. Yet Jesus chooses to stop and talk with this woman with a chronic problem. This makes no sense. It's almost irrational, all right? In fact, it's worse than irrational. If I can say so, it's malpractice all right, Um, listen, any emergency doctor who have a woman coming in with a chronic problem that could wait for another couple of hours and had this little girl at the same time coming in with an acute problem who's about to die. And if they treat the woman with a chronic problem and the little girl dies, you know what happens, right? They might get sued. So this is what Jesus is doing at this moment. Jairus and the disciples are saying to Jesus like, come on, man, what are you doing? Don't you understand the situation? Hurry, Jesus, or you'll be too late. What sort of timeline are you living right now in Jesus? do you understand the extent of this issue? from what we see from the scripture is Jesus will not be hurried. And right now, what was happening with the woman with the issue of blood, let's go to see what's happening in her world right now. She chose to touch Jesus. Whatever her reasoning was, this woman had said to herself, this is my last chance, my last resort. I've heard so many things about this teacher, about this miracle worker, Jesus. And he doesn't even need to stop, alright? I wouldn't bother him. He doesn't need to lay his hands on me. He has healed so many people before with Worse conditions than me, lepers and, and, and those who are seriously ill. He wouldn't even realize that if I touched him, if I can just get close to him and touch his clothes, maybe that would do it. So she made her way to the crowd, even though the law of God forbade her from touching anyone in her condition. She stretched forth her hand and touched Jesus. Do you all know what happened? When she did so, her bleeding stopped and she knew it. She could tell that she had been healed. But Jesus also knew something has happened. Because if you see in the Gospel of Mark, before this incident, from chapters 1 to 4, we can see that Jesus has cast out demons. He has power uh, over um, the entire environment. He has healed the paralytic. He has cleansed the leper. And he even calmed the storm. This is in chapter 3. Great feats of power. But even after all of these great displays of miracles, display of power, now dealing with someone with a chronic condition— Apparently, it wasn't so serious, but even now, Jesus knew when he was touched. I want you to imagine that in the multitude of all the people pushing, shoving, and touching Jesus, one lady touched Jesus, and her touch was felt by him. I want to be that person whose touch is felt by the Lord, and which warrants the question, amen. Even if the whole world is praying to the Lord, even if there are great tragedies all around the world, in Myanmar, in Africa, in China, all around the world, and you come to His presence, willing to draw near, even if you think your issue is small, He will always be aware of you. Amen. Isn't that an encouragement to us? So, So Jesus asked, who touched me? And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came, and fell at his feet trembling with fear and she told him the whole truth. And this is remarkable because as I mentioned before she was unclean. She knew that she had to reveal herself but she just she was not even supposed to be in that crowd much less touch this holy man. But when Jesus asked that question she knew that she had to admit. She was risking being stoner, right? But she did it anyways, she revealed herself. In the kingdom of God, miracles are not an end to themselves they Lead to a meeting. She calls, she comes falling at his feet, trembling with fear, and yet she's met with compassion and not reproach. And let's look again at verse 34. He said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And the healing is a kind of window to a larger healing that is also taking place right here. Uh, It's a part and parcel of the great purpose of Jesus' coming. Even the little expression, go in peace. For us, peace has something to do with psychological healing. But peace at that moment was shalom. It could be just a greeting, but peace be with you suggested more than that. It's often used in the Old Testament for the whole peace with God that we gain by being in the right covenantal relationship with Yahweh. So this entire exchange has the effect of establishing what a true encounter with Jesus is like. He wouldn't just touch your body and your ailment but he wants your heart do you realize that she could be quite happy just getting the miracle and go away and and this could happen with Jesus knowing and smiling quietly to himself and saying yes the power of God is upon me I cast out demons set captives free the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to do these precise things I came to heal and at that moment I felt power leaving me which means that she has been healed the job is done He could have just smiled and pressed on, but instead he slows the pace down, he stops and he says, who touched me? Why? Because what she wanted and what he wanted to provide were different. She wants a miracle, but Jesus wants a face-to-face meeting. She wants the answer to her problems, but he wants to confront her with respect to her faith. So Jesus had an extended conversation with her. She has been physically healed unless he stops and deals with her right now, she will never become an internally transformed disciple of his whose life is completely turned around. And I want you to see this precious fact that in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. The word daughter he uses here, um, scholars tell us is a term of the most intimate endearment. You will never use it on someone you just met. And by the way, this is the first and only person Jesus has ever refers to by that name in the entire Gospel of Mark. The woman nobody wanted has just been called precious daughter by the ultimate father. The one woman that no one would touch is embraced by the Son of God. Do you see the contrast? Jairus is the dad who is pleading the cause of his daughter before Jesus, but this woman had no one, no father. So Jesus came and became her father. To Jairus, he will be the healer. But to this woman, he will be both father and healer because he becomes to us what we lack. He becomes to us what is empty and missing in our lives. Sometimes we look at someone's breakthrough and and miracle and say, "Can't we have the same thing. Lord, whatever you did for him, why can't I have the exact same thing that happened to me? You know why? Because God is not a vending machine. He is a personal God. He becomes real to us because our brains can't comprehend how much glorious are His plans for us. Let me share again that God will reveal Himself to us in the way that we truly need. He becomes to us what we need. Amen? i rather enter into His best plans for me rather than me receiving the best plans that I have conceived for myself. Amen? And now we come to verse 35. So Jesus was spending time talking with this woman. The thing that Jairus was afraid of happened. A messenger came from his house and said, your daughter is dead. You can imagine how Jairus felt toward Jesus at that moment. But in verse 36, what did Jesus do? He looks at him and essentially, and maybe smiles and says, do not fear, only believe. Trust me right now on this. And we know the end of the story from a human perspective, right? All hope for the girl was lost. And we can reach that point, the point where we say to ourselves, why should I trouble God anymore? Everything I feared um, that could happen has already happened. Why should I bother praying now? Why trouble God now? At such times, we must remember that we should never stop troubling the Lord because it is never any trouble for him to hear us cry out to him and for him to wipe away our tears. So Jesus immediately turned to Jairus in verse 36 and said, do not be afraid only believe, okay? It's it's almost as if Jesus was saying to him, Jairus, I know what they said. I know you are devastated, but it's not too late despite what they said. Do not be afraid because do not give in to your terror. Just trust in me. I am in control. And we jump to the end of the story. So Jesus took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying and he took the child by the hand. Just as Jesus was ritually defiled, by the touch of the woman who, with the issue of blood, here he was defiled by touching a corpse. But again, Jesus saw that the need of one of God's people outweigh the ceremonial law. Then he said to her, Talita Kumi, which is translated, "Little girl, I say to you, arise, and she was resurrected. Sometimes God won't give us immediately what we are searching for, but we will never be shortchanged. Amen. Jairus was looking for a cure, but Jesus responded with a resurrection. The lady was looking for a simple touch of healing, but Jesus responded with a revelation that it was her faith that healed her. If we go to Jesus, He may ask of you far more than you originally planned to give, but He can give to you infinitely more than you hoped to ask or think of. That's the God you serve. And you see, the disciples couldn't figure out why Jesus was stopping. Jairus could not understand, could not figure it out. And one thing we learn here is God's grace virtually never operates in our time frame. As a result, sometimes it frustrates us as believers. It fills us with discouragement, sometimes despair. It makes us question the very love of God. But if only we knew, if only we see what He sees, God's plan is often different from us, but for those who trust in Him, it's always for our good. His timing frustrates us sometimes, but He's weaving it all together perfectly. It can't be a coincidence that the little girl was 12 years old and the bleeding woman had been sick for 12 years. I think what Mark is showing us is that for 12 years, God has been writing a story that He was weaving into one beautiful climax— that he brought together on this day. 12 years, okay, 12 years. I don't know how to say this to you in such a way that it doesn't sound weird coming from a pastor. It's not just a cliche coming from the speaker right now. But I really, really believe in the power of prayer. I've seen God answer prayers in the most powerful ways. So don't give up. Let me tell you, don't give up. Keep knocking, keep searching, and he will answer. Amen. And one more thing, God will always reach us where we are. We read the account of Jairus and we can see that he first approached Jesus respectfully, no doubt, not with pride. He falls at his feet, but from the front. And this woman, she sneaks up from behind, hoping to do more than just, uh, to do more, no more than just merely touching his rope. And Jairus is desperate. He has a bold kind of persistence. He said, come with me, my daughter is dying, you can fix it. And we can read from the account of the woman, she struck us as desperate, yes, but frightened and ashamed. Both of them have different faith and approach Jesus differently. But at the end of the day, Jesus went down to her level and called her my daughter. God is the God of grace and he will reach you where you are. Perhaps some of you, you are new in the faith or you are just going through some issues and you look at yourself either your shepherd or your pastor and you say, oh, this guy always talk about faith, and his faith is huge. He's a man of maturity, of courage. Um, And then you think of yourself, you say, can I really trust God? Will he really listen to someone like me because of my past? Because sometimes I doubt, sometimes I have questions in my mind. But let's look at the faith right now that Jesus commanded. That Jesus commanded. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The faith that is commended here in this double account is faith that is not only desperate, but broken. It's not the faith of the strong, but the faith of the weak. It's not the faith of the respected, but the faith of the disgraced. It's not the faith of the bold, but the faith of the frightened. He came as a doctor for the sick. He came as the strong comes for the weak. He came for the broken, the bruised. And the guilty. I want to tell you that if a broken, disgraced, fearful woman in the first century has a faith commanded by Jesus, then all of us here, we are welcome to come and trust the King. Amen. The King wants to know and forgive and empower the broken, the bruised, the needy, and the desperate. Because my Bible says that a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And that's the God we serve and that's the God we can trust. Amen? And maybe some of you, maybe you, you, you feel like you can identify with Jairus. Like, are you trying to hurry God now? Perhaps you are angry with him because you can't think of a good reason for the delay of your miracle. Therefore, there can't be one. And actually, Jairus started out very well. He started out with such bold faith, Right? Jairus, unlike Nicodemus, did not, um, who was also a, a synagogue ruler, who is not afraid to come in daytime. Because Nicodemus came at night. He had all the questions, but in his heart, he kind of had faith. But he was afraid of his colleagues, so he came in the middle of the night, Nicodemus, and he asked Jesus about faith, about salvation. But Jairus was different. He came boldly in the daytime. But on the other hand, the woman believed, yet touched from the back. And yet Jesus stops and goes to her, and he makes Jairus wait. He gives her immediate gratification, but Jairus had to wait. And how are we as believers going to respond to that? How many of you are like Jairus, and you say, Oh, I believed in him once. I was bold. I came to his throne boldly, and yet he let me down. I don't know what happened, and I thought breakthrough was coming, and it seemed like it did not happen. Can I say this to you? Do not confuse coming up with an agenda for Him and seeing that He doesn't walk on your timeline as Him having let you down. Are you trying to hurry God because He will not be hurried, yet He turns to you and says, don't be afraid, trust my timing. And lastly, in verse 41, we see something beautiful. I see the nature of the king, the gentle, loving nature of the king. He's not just interested in displaying his power, but in verse 41, he stooped down. And scripture says, he took the little girl by the hand, raised her up and took her by the hand and said, arise. When you think that God has let you down, the king will go down to your level, raise you by the hand and lift you up. I was just preparing for um, the next message on the resurrection, just thinking it through. And I realized something from scripture that um, almost all the accounts of resurrection in the Bible, it's not just an impartation. Jesus doesn't say, oh, come up from the grave, but he always enters into the grief. He always comes close. He either touched the little girl, raised her up, or in the case of Lazarus, he knew he was going to do something, but he enters into the grief. He wept. If you want resurrection power, it's not just en- encountering him at the altar call, but he gives resurrection power by intimacy. He comes close to those who are desperate. Amen. I want to speak to a few of you today. Probably you have chronic issues. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual. Probably you say, I have all these prayer for healing. These people have huge diseases and issues. I've been suffering this for years, okay? Years. Why, why, why should I keep coming to the Lord? But let me just say this to you. He's close to the brokenhearted. He will heal both serious and chronic issues. Do not, get, do not ever, ever get used to your chronic issues. It could be relationships. It could be your marriage with your spouse. It could be your wayward kids. But let me tell you this to you. It doesn't matter how many years. Do not belittle what God can do for you. Chronic and serious. He's close to both. Amen. Amen. And then one more thing I want to say. Do allow for divine interruptions in your life. Many times, we will miss out on divine encounters which God has ordained for us for the day just because we wouldn't allow ourselves to be interrupted. I've been reading the Gospels over and over again. I realized that Jesus always allowed Himself to be interrupted. And in Mark chapter 9, He could have just easily cast the demon out of the boy. But yet, He stopped. He bothered to ask, how long has He been like this? He did not need to ask, yet he knew that he wasn't just there to make a physical need, but to restore in every area. He's not just a miracle worker, but he's a personal king. Jesus' mission was to save the world, but he always bothered to stop for one, even if it's just to have a short conversation. He allowed himself to be interrupted many times because people matter to him. It's not just a task in his to-do list. If we allow ourselves to be interrupted, we might not only be touched, but also be a conduit for God to touch someone else's life. We are all busy people, yes, in our work and our family, even our ministry, but open our eyes and our heart and see the brokenness of the world and allow ourselves to touch someone even if he or she is not part of your agenda for the day. Be inclined to have your schedule interrupted. I will end with one personal account. I think this happened either three to four years ago. I can't really remember. But it was the end of um, KI. You all know Kingdom Invasion. And always the last part we have uh, prayer for healing. So uh, Heidi was speaking. And then suddenly, there was this, a lot of uh, people rushing. And I was uh, the team leader of the altar ministry at that point. We had to organize all the prayer healing teams and everything, making sure everything was okay. And everybody was rushing. I was like, oh, what's happening? And realized this little girl came into the hall. And uh, she had special permission from the hospital to come to this place. There were tubes all over, uh, uh, in a stretcher and everything. And then because it's the last night, um, we had special permission to to bring Heidi to this this girl. So people were rushing, they were excited and everything. And yet, um, the healing um, area was here. And at the the right-hand side, there was this young man. Um, He was not responding for prayer for healing. He did not need anything. He was just worshipping the Lord. He lifted up his hands to worship the Lord. But there was something going through in his heart. He just just worshiped the Lord. But uh, Heidi was on his way on on her way to this this young lady, like led by all the minders, the author leaders, the healing team members, so many. <laughs> and then um but well, she stopped halfway, she went to this young chap and I laid her hands on him and I gave him a prophetic word. And the young chap was me. I was the in charge of the author ministry, and I felt okay just the last night i i, I just I just want to take a break for, for all the work right now. I just want to have my encounter with the Lord, and I did not need any physical healing uh, spiritually, I was doing okay, but emotionally, I was perplexed. I was asking the Lord for some help in terms of for my for my parents um, their marital issues, and I was just when no one was looking I just said God I just want to worship you right now I just want to take a step back from, from this ministry per se I just want to have my encounter with you I don't want people to pray for me I don't want anything I just want to worship you and at that moment Heidi chose to stop halfway yes there was a greater need but something happened in her mind the Holy Spirit spoke to her speak to the young chap and she gave me a prophetic word that brought life to me encouragement and I, I just want to say this to you that it doesn't matter what you're going through. Yes, there will always be more serious issues elsewhere, yes. But you come to his throne boldly and he's close to brokenhearted. Whether it's serious or chronic issues, he will be there. Amen. Just stand up. Close your eyes and lift up your hands. I want to speak to some of you today. Probably you have been handling, especially relationship, probably for years. Maybe it's fractured, and you've been coming to the to the auto call for years. You you went to your shepherd, you went to your pastor, but it's still ongoing. And you say, "Ah, oh, come on, man, am I wasting my time? Let me just say this to you: He is near, and He will answer." I just want to say to all of us let us always be aware of divine interruptions. Not just being recipients of the move of God, but God will open our eyes to see the brokenness around us. And these people may not be part of our agenda. Yes, we are busy. Yes, we want to fulfill what God has called us to do for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year. But at that moment when God drops something in your mind to stop, pause, turn aside, to speak to someone, let us always obey Let's lift up our hands. Father, we come before You, Lord. As sons and daughters who who know our King, Father, we bear our hearts to You, Lord. We lift our hands, Lord. We, We say, Lord, we want to be more like You. We want to know You in the power of Your resurrection. We want to be transformed, to be conformed to the image of Your Son. And Father, I pray for those who are struggling with chronic issues probably they'll be handling for years. Lord, I pray they will never get used to it. Father, we speak breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus, restoration of relationships and physical body. Father, we come boldly to your throne right now in this place, Lord, because of the the brand new way you have opened to us because of of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to restore, to restore, to restore what the enemy has taken. In the name of Jesus, Father, we give thanks for your word. Lord, let there be cleansing, let there be restoration. We bless you. We honour you in this place. And Father, I speak a special blessing on everyone here. Father, even as we look at scripture, we realise curses can be broken, but blessings can never be broken. So I bless them right now. The blessings of God the Father, the strength and grace of Christ the Son, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Now God's people say, amen, amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write in to mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.